Welcome back to the South Harbor Church Podcast. South Harbor is a part of the Harbor Churches, which exist to help people find their way back to God. This week, as we continue from our year-long study in the Gospel of Matthew, we begin a new mini-series we're calling On Location. As always, for more information about how you can become a part of the South Harbor Church community, stick around after the message. Now, let's head over to Pastor Tim as he brings us on location to the Sea of Galilee and brings us a message on fear. If you have a Bible, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 8. Matthew 8, we're making our way through the life of Jesus as told by his disciple Matthew. And if you're keeping notes... We haven't yet actually met Matthew in the gospel. We're almost there. Matthew's, Matthew's almost on the team. He's, uh, so in the next couple of chapters, uh, Matthew will get called by Jesus. But we've been journeying through his account of Jesus' life. We spent the last two months working through uh, Jesus' most famous sermon, what, what is often referred to as the Sermon on the Mount. And uh, we've heard Jesus teach some things. Um, Jesus, in the Sermon on the Mount, talks about loving your enemies. He talks about judging. Do not judge. Um, He talks about judgment and judging. He talks about uh, worry and uh, do not worry about tomorrow, he says. Tomorrow's got enough worries of its own. Don't worry about tomorrow. Here's how you live present in this this day. And uh, Jesus wraps up his sermon where we left off last week. And uh, and the crowds respond how? Do the crowds like it? Do they not? Do you remember? They, the crowds were amazed, we read. Uh, Matthew tells us that the crowds hear the Sermon on the Mount, and the crowds say, this is amazing. This, whatever this guy is saying, sign us up, we're in. Uh, this, this, this rabbi teaches not like all of our other teachers. He teaches as one who has authority. He, he actually feels like this is not just ideas or words, but he actually is living this out. He actually has the authority to talk about this stuff. Now, where, we, where we're going uh, in this next chunk of Matthew, so where Matthew's going to turn next is, now the question is going to be, will the crowds follow? They love the teaching. They love the teaching. But now when Jesus actually goes to live out the teaching in real life, uh, in, in real time, in real places, when he actually goes to their enemies, they loved the message about loving your enemies, but will they actually still follow him when he actually goes to the enemies? They, they love it when Jesus is talking about how do not judge. They love the message of don't judge because everyone's felt judged and they love that message. But when they actually bring, uh, when Jesus actually brings them to the people that uh, they feel the most judged by or the people who are the most guilty of judging, will they like the message? So what we're going to do for the next several weeks, um, kind of counting down, next three weeks counting down to Easter, uh, is we are going to go on location with Jesus and look at some of the places Jesus taught and ask the question, Will the crowds follow? How will the crowds respond? Now, um, the, the uh, particular passage we're in this morning is at the, we're gonna, so we have to pick up speed a little bit. We, um, if we keep going at the pace of one little chunk at a time, we'll be, doing math, we'll be in Matthew for the next 10 years. I would like that, but I don't know that you all would. So uh, we're gonna pick up pace a little bit. Um, we are gonna be, uh, the, the main story this morning is at the end of Matthew chapter eight. But just to catch you up, uh, between Matthew 8, the, end, the story we're going to look at and the story we, we just looked at, we have the Sermon on the Mount, the crowds love the Sermon on the Mount, and then Jesus will do a bunch of healings, a string of healings. He'll heal a man with leprosy, he will heal the servant of uh, a centurion, um, which is a, just a wild story, I wish we had more time to look at that one, it's a, it's a, we'll look at it someday, but uh, he heals a servant of a centurion, uh, then he goes to um, Peter's mother-in-law who's sick, and he heals Peter's mother-in-law, the Saint Peter. 
not to be confused with St. Peter's basketball team, who's awesome. I, I am so rooting for St. Peter's. Come on, tell me you're not watching that game. Uh, some of those fun basketball. Um, but he heals St. Peter, uh, the disciple Peter's mother-in-law. And now uh, we're going to pick up the story there um, with these words. Uh, verse 16. When evening came. So you got to catch this. Matthew wants you to know that all of this is happening the same day. Jesus is preaching the Sermon on the Mount, and he's done all of these healings on the same day. That's an important detail to remember um, because uh, later we're going to read that Jesus is tired. And you're, you're going to think, yeah, he's done a lot today. It's a big day. Um, verse 16. When evening came, many who were demon-possessed were brought to him, and he drove out the spirits with a word, and he healed all the sick. This was to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah. He took up our infirmities, and he bore our diseases. When Jesus saw the crowd around him, he gave orders to cross over to the other side of the lake. Then a teacher of the law came to him and said, Teacher, I'll follow you wherever you go. Jesus replied, Foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Another disciple said to him, Lord, first let me go bury my father. But Jesus told him, Follow me. Let the dead bury their own dead. Which, by the way, sounds really harsh. Uh, Maybe it is, uh, but probably... Probably not. Uh, it sounds, we don't have time to spend a lot on just that line, but it sounds like Jesus is being really dismissive. But most likely what Jesus is doing here is um, he's linking an excuse that goes all the way back to Elijah, um, the prophet Elijah of the Old Testament. It's an excuse. Um, so we read it and think, well, based without any context, this man's dad has just died and he wants to like, do a funeral service. And Jesus is saying, no, don't let him, no, you don't get to do a funeral service. Um, and that sounds really mean. But most likely, if you link the excuse all the way back, um, the, the dad isn't dead. The dad is alive. And he's saying, uh, let me wait until my dad dies, and then I'll start my life. And Jesus says, no. <laughs> no, you don't get to wait. Um, you ever find yourself making excuses not to do the things that you know you need to do? Um, maybe it's around, uh, so for me, the way it often works is I'll start on Monday like, we'll start the diet on Monday. We'll start the exercise program on Monday. We'll stop doing the thing on Monday. Or uh, we'll wait till the new month. Or we'll wait till the new year. Um, and Jesus is saying, no, come now. Don't let your life sit on someday we'll do that. Uh, carrying on. Verse 23. They, then they got in the boat, and his disciples followed him. Suddenly, a furious storm came up on the lake so that the waves swept over the boat. But Jesus was sleeping. Remember, it's been a long day. He's sleeping. The disciples went and woke him, saying, Lord, save us. We're going to drown. He replied, you of little faith, why are you so afraid? Say that line with me. Why are you so afraid? Why are you so afraid? Um, That's what I want to talk about today. I want to talk about why are you so afraid? Why are you so afraid, Jesus asked. Then he got up, and he rebuked the wind and the waves, and it was completely calm. The men were amazed and asked, What kind of man is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. Why are you so afraid, Jesus asked him. Now, the answer to that question, we we may hear Jesus saying, why are you so afraid? And we think, yeah, why are you so afraid? But the answer is kind of obvious, right? It's obvious why they're so afraid. The answer is obvious. They're in a small boat, and uh, a storm is upon them, and uh, the storm is now spilling into the boat, and the boat's about to capsize. And so they're afraid because they are, actually, we have the language in here. They don't want to drown. They don't want to drown. They're, they're afraid of the storm. Uh, not just any storm. We're told that the storm is a furious storm. It's an angry storm. We have an angry storm. Uh, why are you so afraid? Because 
It's an angry storm. And by the way, where's Jesus? He's had a long day. Cut him some slack. But, but uh, Matthew, uh, so Matthew tells the story. Uh, Mark will tell the exact same story, but he'll add a few details. I think the details help. Mark will tell the same story. Notice a detail Mark adds to the story. Mark tells us that Jesus is sleeping, but then Mark goes on to say he is sleeping on a cushion. On a cushion. Thanks, Mark, for the detail. He's sleeping on a cushion. Now, um, just, just for the record, this is Jesus' idea hey, we're going to get in a boat and we're going to cross on the, over to the other side. He then falls asleep on a cushion uh, and the, storms, uh, the storm hits them. And he's sleeping on a cushion. And so the, the disciples respond the same way I think we would probably respond. I think I'd probably be respond. They wake him up and they respond by saying, Lord, save us, we're going to drown. Save us, Lord, we're going to drown. And again, Mark adds a detail here. Mark tells us, they ask another question. Disciples woke him and said to him, teacher, don't you care, don't you care if we drowned? Don't you care if we drowned? That's the question, isn't it? You ever find yourself asking that question? God, don't you care? Don't you care? Jesus, don't you care? Have, have you ever felt like Jesus might be sleeping in the middle of your storm? That's the story, right? Jesus, there's a storm, he's sleeping. Don't you care, Jesus? We're going to drown. Don't you? Why are you sleeping? We're going to drown. Some of you right now are in the middle of a storm. Some of you, you're in the middle of a storm and nobody knows it. You're in the middle of a storm that uh, maybe you and your spouse know about. Um, but there's some of you that are in the middle of a personal storm that not even your spouse is aware of. And, uh, and like the disciples, it comes up out of nowhere. And maybe even like the disciples, it came up because you were trying to do the right thing. It's Jesus' idea to get in the boat. It's his idea to get in the boat. They're just trying to do the right thing. And when the storm hits, he's sleeping. And then, get this, get this detail. He's not only sleeping. He, when they wake him up, his response is, why are you so afraid? There has to be a part of you. Just, to, just let the story be human for a second. There has to be a part of you if you're a disciple. And my guess is there is a part of you if you give yourself permission. When you find yourself in the storm, there's a part of you that wants to say, um, you're asking why, like, why am I so afraid? You should know. If you were awake, you would know. There's a storm. We're about to go under. Why am I so afraid? Maybe if you weren't sleeping, you would know. Why are you so afraid? That's the question. Why are you so afraid? Why does Jesus ask that question in this moment? Is there, there's got to be more going on. Why are you so afraid? That's the question. Um, now, Let's take that question. The answer seems obvious in, in their culture, in their context. Let's flip the question, because I would argue that for many of us, um, if we were to ask the same question of ourselves, why are you so afraid? That answer to that question is also obvious to us. Um, why are you so afraid? Right? Maybe right now the most, um, so you can think like globally, you could think nationally, you can think locally, and then you can think like locally, like in your own lives. Why are you so, maybe think, think globally right now. What? Name a thing that there is to be afraid of globally. World War Three. There you go. World War Three. Uh, yeah, like if you've been following the news at all, at all with Russia and Ukraine, anybody else doing this game of you watch the news and are trying to figure out if I were leading the world, <laughs> what would I do right now? There's not, and like you cannot figure out a scenario that is like, Helpful. Outside of Putin gives his life to Jesus and has a moment of reconciliation. Like, other than that, like, 
Um, which, which can't happen. It can't happen. I shouldn't. But like, but but if you do the game of like, okay, um, if NATO were to get involved, and if we were to get involved, well, that's going to escalate things. But if we don't get involved, well, there's lots of lot. Anybody else doing the game of like, you're trying to figure out what was, what is the best solution forward? And every, it's like choose your own adventure to only escalation, and hopefully not World War Three. Why are you so afraid? I'm afraid of that, you're thinking. I'm afraid of that. Uh, now, maybe move local a little bit closer. Uh, why am I so afraid? Maybe some of you are saying the reason I'm so afraid is because of inflation. Have you been paying attention to inflation? Um, I, uh, I was reading this week, and some of you are far more business savvy than me, so just, just grant some forgiveness. But um, I was reading this week about kind of the strategies around inflation. Apparently, we've not seen rates of inflation like this since the 70s. And, uh, and essentially how inflation works, and again, correct me where I get this wrong, but how inflation works is we, uh, we look at the rate of prices increasing and we say to ourselves, we better buy things now because if we wait to buy it, it'll be more expensive later. And so we buy now, and because we buy now, uh, it drives up the rate of inflation. And the only way uh, to shut it down, uh, at least a strategy of, of an economist in the 70s, which now it looks like we may move into, um, the way to shut that down is you have to increase interest. Essentially, what you have to do is shut down the economy. Because if you can get people to stop spending, now we can get the, the money back, we can get inflation back under control. And so some of you in the 70s, you, some of you lived through the 70s, and you remember this. Uh, you remember how interest rates rose to, some, uh, my parents were telling me that their first house was around 20% interest on their house. Some of you remember this? Yeah, and they're saying it could happen again. Why am I so afraid? I'm afraid of that. Um, some of you are thinking, uh, well, you know what, what I'm afraid of? It, why are you so afraid? I'm afraid of gas prices. Anybody thinking that? Gas prices. I'm afraid of gas prices. Uh, uh, I personally drive a Honda Civic. I feel like a genius. Um, I drive a... <laughs> you should be jealous of my fuel economy. Um, but I, I'll be honest, we, we had, my wife and I and our family had planned this, like, we we're hopefully a cheap little spring break road trip. And that cheap little spring break road trip, now we're looking at it, and uh, it's, it's not a, potentially not a cheap little spring break road trip. And you're thinking that, too. Like, why am I so afraid? Well, what is, what, like, that? And how does that interfere? Now, if you take it even closer to home, why are you so afraid? Well, uh... Are our marriages going to make it? Some of you are thinking that. Like, are my marriages going to make it? Or um, our finances? Are we, going to, uh, are we going to be able to retire on time? Is our retirement secure? Or how about um, um, children? Some of you are afraid that you'll never have children. That's a real fear. That's a very real fear. Some of you are afraid that you will have children or you have children and you're not sure how they're going to turn out, right? Like, is, is little Johnny going to be uh, a saint, or is little Johnny going to be an axe murderer? And you're not so sure. Uh, like, uh, why am I afraid? I'm afraid of that. Some of you are afraid of your, uh, am I going to be able to afford my mortgage? Am I going to be able to keep my job? Here's a new one. Uh, for those of you who, who run a business, am I going to be able to find employees? That's a new one, right? That's a new fear. Um, some of you, uh, you're, you're asking the question, will I ever find somebody? Your, heart is, your heart's desire is to share your life with somebody, and their real fear is, will I ever find that somebody? Why are you so afraid, Jesus asked. Well, shouldn't it be obvious why I'm so afraid? Uh, um, others of you, uh, 
you, you, you would remind us that the reason we're so afraid is that there's a multi-billion dollar advertising machine industry uh, that is a has a vested interest in keeping us afraid. And there's a 24-hour news cycle that wants our eyeballs. And uh, because if they have our eyeballs, then they have our commercial time. And if they have our commercial time, we'll buy their stuff. And so they have a vested interest in the latest news-breaking stories, uh, which will keep us afraid. And so we are afraid of aging like we've never been before. Right? We are afraid of aging. We are afraid of the pounds that we're putting on and the wrinkles that we're developing. We are afraid of the aches and the pains that we're now feeling. I, um, I'm almost 40, and I... Things, are, you know, old injuries just kind of stay with you now. Um, we're afraid of that. Uh, we're afraid of the, um, we're afraid of what, what does this look like? Uh, the billions and billions and billions of dollars that we are now pumping into the youth industry. A couple of years ago, uh, for a sermon illustration, uh, maybe you were here, I, I had a mirror up and I was looking through magazines. I had Cosmo and Men's Health. And we were talking about like how, marketing companies target um, the, you know, kind of different genders and how, like, just their readers, at least. And uh, one of the things I was shocked by, just going through that as a little experiment, I was shocked at especially Cosmo and um, the, the advertisements that are pushed out to women. Uh, the number of advertisements for beauty products, youth products, and weight loss products. What messages are we subtly consuming Every time we read, look younger now, lose less weight now. And so, of course, we are, we are buying the scents and the lotions and the perfumes and the moisturizers and the creams and the styling products. Of course, we're buying all of it. And liposuction is now, like, we are sucking fat out of some places and pumping it into other places. Like, oh, this is, this is the world. Why am I so afraid? Look at that whole thing going on. Uh, how about this one? Um, we are afraid of terrorist attacks. That's still a reality right now. Uh, experts are telling us that there are terrorist cells forming in our nation. Right now, there are terrorist cells forming in our nation. And, uh, and we have an eye on some of them, but we, you, know, you never know. You never know, they say. You never know when the next one's going to hit. Why are we so afraid? Well, that's still there. And then there's lead poisoning, following lead poisoning. Your toys, that little, little Susie... You never know what that is in that toy. What is she putting in her mouth? Lead poisoning. Um, how about food poisoning? Um, you ever notice how many people now are getting sick from things like arugula? Arugula is a deadly weapon. Uh, yeah, like what, what's the deal with the, and there's the food allergies and the pesticides and the chemicals and all the things that are putting on our food. So you better buy organic, but be careful because it's, it could just be a sales gimmick. So you be careful buying that organic. And how do you know? How do you know? One side says it's this. The other side says it's this. How do we know what is true? Better be afraid of that. Better be afraid that they're lying to you. Um, I, uh, I read an article um, a couple of months ago that uh, there is a new industry uh, of pet psychologists, because you all during COVID stayed home with your pets and then you left them, you abandoned them, and they're sad. And, they <laughs> and so there are people that you can pay and they'll pet your pets. Uh, yeah, how dare you? Um, pet psychologists, be afraid of that. Clinical depression in our pets. Uh, and then you have social media, and what do we do with social media and clickbait and data mining? Uh, and then there's, then there, how about this one? Cancel culture, you sent a text to a friend as a joke 10 years ago, and that, that text may come back and ruin your life. Be afraid. Right? There's, 
Why are we so afraid? Uh, no wonder why we have anxiety disorders right now. Uh, the, latest, uh, the latest statistics are about 40 million U.S. adults, about 18% of the population. One out of five people has an anxiety disorder. Think about that. But don't think too hard about that because what we also are being told that the act of worrying, the act of worrying itself is killing you. So if you're afraid of being afraid, well, the fear of being afraid, well, why are you so afraid? It also doesn't help that your pastor is giving you a list of things to be afraid of. It's also not super helpful on a morning. Yeah, why are you so afraid? News feeds 24-hour days pumping this into us, pumping these messages into us. And as Christians... We're buying it. We're absorbed in it too. Jesus asks a very real question to a group of people who are starting to see who he is. Why? I think you could add the word still in there. Why are you still so afraid? Have you not seen what I've done? Um, Some of you right now are thinking, how do I I Google new churches to join (laughs) while making it look like I'm checking the Bible app? Um, why are you so afraid? <laughs> Jesus, uh, Jesus, br- you brought us onto the Sea of Galilee. You brought us here, and then you fall asleep in a boat. You take a nap in the middle of the storm. Um, and many of us, we feel like that's happened. Let's just name that. Start there. Um, but honestly, that's not the most terrifying part of what's going on in the story. There are a couple of details. Um, stay with me through some context stuff. There are a couple of details that can get lost if we read the story fast. Um, so let me just give you two details that I think are critical to the story that you, you probably, we probably just read right over. Um, the first detail, notice this. Matthew tells his disciples, uh, Matthew tells the disciple, or Matthew tells us, Jesus tells the, the crowds to go to the other side of the lake. And now there's, there's some debate on, is he telling his disciples to go to the other side and get the boat ready for him and the crowds are staying behind? Or is he telling the crowds to go? Mark clears up the mystery. Notice what Mark says. Leaving the crowd behind, he took him along, Jesus, along just as he was in the boat. And then there were also other boats with him. Catch that. There were also other boats with them. Anybody else, when you think about the story, you don't picture lots of boats on the Sea of Galilee crossing over. Apparently there are lots of boats, or at least other boats with them. And then we read this. A fury, an angry, furious squall came up, and the waves broke over the boat. Matthew and Mark give that detail. Catch the detail? There are boats on the water, plural, but the waves and the storm break up over the boat. Jesus' boat, the disciples' boat, singular. Apparently, there's lots of, there's lots of boats on the lake, but only one boat is getting hit by the storm. Odd. Odd, odd, odd. Second detail. Second detail. Uh, notice both Matthew and Mark, as they tell the, as they tell the story, just, notice how they describe the storm. They both say either a furious squall, is what Mark says, or a furious storm came up. That language, came up. Now, that's not the language you would use of storms, right? We don't use the language of storms coming up. The language we use of storms is storms come down. When waves or the rain comes down, maybe the wind comes across, but often wind comes down. We don't use language of, of, of storms coming up. Storms don't come up, storms come down. Why the language? Matthew, Mark, what are you trying to do? What are you trying to tell us? What's going on here? Did you just mess up? I don't think so. Um, is this just random coincidence? Am I reading too much into this? 
I think that's exactly the questions they want you to answer. I think to the first audience, the what they would have heard when they read this story or saw this lived out, I think we can miss because we live in a totally different world. But there's something central to what's going on in here. It's almost like what Mark wants you to see and what Matthew wants you to see is that lots of boats go out in the water, but only one boat gets hit by the storm. And the storm comes up out of the water almost like a hand reaching up to pull that boat down. It's almost like the, the storm is personal and the storm is evil and the storm wants to pull the boat down. I think that the first audience is exactly what they would have thought when they read the story. Um, and the reason I think that... Well, let me, uh, let me explain why. Let me show you a picture and give some context. I'm going to move through this quickly because um, some of this, a lot of this we've covered before. If you're new, though, I apologize. We'll go through it quickly. Hopefully you catch, uh, you catch what's going on. But for some of you, uh, I apologize. We're going to get a little bit of repeat. Um, but let me give you some context. Let me show you a picture of the Sea of Galilee. Um, by the way, that's, that's a replica of a boat we found from that time. The Sea of Galilee. Uh, I first visited the Sea of Galilee in 2009. And, uh, and so we got in, and it was late, and the first thing we did was we went swimming in the Sea of Galilee. And the first thing I noticed swimming in the Sea of Galilee was, where is all the salt? The sea, where's the salt? Um, sure enough, uh, the, sea of, uh, the Sea of Galilee uh, is referred to as a lake in the Bible often because it's a freshwater lake. There's actually four streams coming down out of Mount Hermon, and those four streams come together to form the Sea of Galilee. It's a freshwater, spring-fed lake. That was the first observation. Then the next day, we hiked uh, an overlook to overlook the lake and had a view looking down of the lake. Uh, this was uh, right around when I went there. Was right, this, this picture is not for me. I'm not that good at taking pictures. But uh, this is the same area. Um, when we got to the top of a mountain called Mount Arbel overlooking the Sea of Galilee, um, my first instinct was, okay, so freshwater lake on a Saturday around noon, where are all the boaters? Where are all the, the jet skiers and the tubers? And, like, and by the way, now that I think about it, where are all the houses? I remember asking my uh, tour guide, like, hey, how come nobody's playing in the water? It's pretty water. It's, it's clear water. It's clean water. It's spring-fed water. Where are all the houses? And, uh, and, and the reason, and some of you, here, help me out. Um, he said to me, it's because in the Jewish mind, the sea is considered the abyss. They believed, um, starting all the way back to the very beginning of the scriptures, um, the, the Spirit of God in Genesis 1 is hovering over the chaotic waters. So they read that and said, evil lives in the sea. Evil lives in the sea. Job talks about how Leviathan and Beelzebub are these sea monsters. Beelzebub, the god of death and flies, live in the sea. The psalmists talk about, we read one today. The psalmists talk about how God has control even over the sea. Why would he use that language? Even over the sea. God has the ability even over the sea. When the seas rise up, God is able to calm them down. That's what the psalmists say. What? Then you have a story like this. They believed evil lived in the sea. Uh, Then you have a story like this. Hand reaching up to pull down. Um, Next week we'll look at what happens when they cross to the other side. Remember the whole story about uh, the demon-possessed man or men um, and uh, Jesus cast the demons out into pigs and where do the pigs run? And they're going home. Revelation ends the Bible and the picture of heaven you get is, I saw a new heaven and a new earth and there was no longer any sea. I think, well, that's a weird thing to say. We love water. He's not saying there's no water. He's saying there's no evil. Okay, so this is, this is all recap. Here's what I think is happening in this story. Um, 
find my, my notes. Um, I think what's happening in this particular story is Matthew wants us to know that there are other boats in the sea, but only one is being attacked. And I think that's the word. It's like a hand being pulled down, trying to pull them down, that this itself is like a demonic, satanic, whatever, um, evil attack, and it's directed right at their boat. Why are we so afraid, Jesus? The evil itself is coming at us. And notice the way Jesus responds. Uh, Verse 24. Suddenly a, a furious and angry storm came up on the lake so that the waves swept over the boat. But Jesus was sleeping. The disciples went and woke him saying, Lord, save us. We're gonna drown. He replied, you have little faith. Why are you so afraid? Then he got up and he rebuked the wind and the waves and it was completely calm. He rebukes the wind and the waves. He rebukes the wind and the waves. That word rebuke is used almost exclusively most of the time at least, to talk about what Jesus says to a demon, to a demon-possessed person. Odd language if you're just talking about the water. Jesus rebukes, the, it's strong language. Um, in, Ma, in, in Mark's gospel, we read that Jesus says, quiet, be still, and there's an exclamation point. That's a bad translation. You know what Jesus said if he's rebuking? Okay, kids, don't use this language. But this is what Je- Shut up and sit down. That's what he's saying. Shut up and sit down. How dare you? No. You do not get to pull the boat down. He rebukes it. Um, Then, verse 27. Then the men were amazed and asked, what kind of man is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. Now note, they've seen Jesus heal people. They've seen Jesus turn water into wine. They've even seen Jesus raise the dead. We'll see that at least. Why is this one different? What kind of man is this, they ask? Well, in the Old Testament, Elijah, a man, he raised someone from the dead. Elisha, a man, raised someone from the dead. Those are big miracles, but men have done them. What is the one thing that only God can do in the Old, throughout the Bible, the only person, the only thing that can, the only one who can speak, rebuke over evil itself is who? It's God. What kind of man is this? They're, they're freaked out because they're for the first time catching. He, he's not just a great teacher or a great miracle worker. What kind of man is this? Only God has, has the ability to do what he just did. Only God. They wake him up. Uh, Jesus, why are you sleeping? We're going to drown. My assumption is they wake him up because they think, we need you to help us paddle back to shore. Jesus wakes up and says, you know what? I'll just take care of the storm. How about I just do that? And rebuke, you sit down. Um, What kind of man is this? The one in the boat is greater than the one in the sea. That's what they're realizing. What kind of man is this? I think uh, far too many Christians, and often this is true for myself too, but far too many of us have far too small a view of the God who is in our lives, the God who is in our boat. Um, Far too many of us shrink Jesus down. This this is a growing trend right now, and you've experienced this growing trend. Far too many people in our world will now shrink Jesus down into this really great teacher. He's a really brilliant and great teacher. Um, Now, you know that I believe Jesus is a great and brilliant teacher, right? We just spent two months talking about chiasms and remezes and principles of first mention and keshers, and I nerded out for two months Jesus is a brilliant teacher. And we'll, but there are too many people in our world that will study the Sermon on the Mount and things like it and say, he's a brilliant teacher, but they'll stop there as though he's just a brilliant teacher, as though he's just this really nice, loving man. 
And then when the storms of life hit, when the storms hit us, and they will hit us, they hit us. When the storms hit, we don't even think to cry out to him because when the storms of life hit, you, what you're not thinking is, I should put a podcast on by that brilliant lecturer. No one does that when the storms hit. And so if Jesus is just this brilliant teacher, we'll study him when life is fine, but when the storms hit, we look, we look elsewhere. Uh, what kind of man is this? What kind of man is this? I think that's actually the right question. I think that's the right question. Is he just a great teacher? Um, because if he is, uh, if that's all he is, then this terrifying world will own you. We just gave a list of the things to be afraid of. There's a lot to be afraid of. If he's just a great teacher, if that's all he is, then whether it's Russia, Ukraine, inflation, gas prices, cancel, you pick your, pick your enemy, they will own you. Um, now, uh, is the storm real? Yes. Jesus never suggests that we should have a naive faith where we just do this and ignore the problems of the world. It's a real storm. It's a real storm. Um, but what Jesus needs them to see is that the one in the boat is greater than the one in the sea. Now, a couple observations. A couple observations. Um, let's do a little bit of theology in the time we have. Uh, first, I want you to notice that Jesus doesn't cause the storms. Some of you need to hear this. Jesus doesn't cause the storms. Jesus doesn't cause this storm. Jesus never causes the storm. Um, what you find, Jesus doesn't enjoy the storm. Uh, Jesus rebukes the storm. He stands against the storm. Uh, Jesus... Uh, there is a theology in our culture uh, that um, we will say this. We'll say God is good and God is powerful. And so anytime there's something that's not good, we'll never use the word good for things that are not good. Cancer is not good. Adultery, an affair is not good. We'll, and we, we're quick to say that's not good, but now we're stuck because did God, who is good, give me the cancer? Did God, who is good, cause the affair? Did God, who is good, take my job from me? So then the only way to make sense of that is we'll jump to, well, he must be trying to teach me a lesson. He must be trying to teach me a lesson. Now, there are times maybe where that's true, and, and you know, who knows? There are times, but I think what ends up happening then is something that's really evil and very wrong. We don't even think to cry out to God because he may be the one who's given me this thing. Does that make sense? I think in our, in our attempt to try to maintain God's sovereignty, we forget the fact that there is an action. We have such a weak theology of evil. But in this story, Jesus rebukes the storm. He doesn't cause the storm. He rebukes the storm. Uh, if you read through the stories of Jesus, Jesus never gives somebody uh, a disease in order to, to, to prove how good he is. He doesn't do it as a life lesson. Like God is not sadistic. He doesn't, Jesus is not sadistic. And if Jesus is our image of God, our understanding of who God is, we have to, have to, have to, have to see that when evil hits us, we may not have answers. Blame Satan, blame evil, blame the weather, blame your politicians. I don't care, but don't blame God. He's good. He's good. He's good. Now, what can happen Again, some dense theology. But what can happen is you go through something horrible and awful, and it's, it's wrong. Something like cancer. You go through something like cancer. Some of you have gone through cancer or have lost loved ones to cancer, and it's a major storm. But it's through the cancer that you start to see, it's through that journey, you start to see the things that really matter in your life. And so now you're on the other end of cancer, and you're saying, well, God took the, the garbage and he's turned it into art, so God must have caused the garbage. Or you were an addict and your life bottomed out, but now it took that for you to become sober 
And so now you're clean, and you look back and say, well, God must have caused that because God wanted to teach me this lesson. God is really good at taking the garbage, the evil of our world, and turning them to good, turning it into art. Um, there's a verse that gets quoted uh, in, um, in, these, in moments of storms a lot. Uh, it's from Romans 8.28, and we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Now, the way some people will quote that verse is they'll say, God causes all things for good. In fact, you probably had a well-intentioned friend in your storm who said, God's causing this for good. Don't worry, give it to God. He's causing this for good. But that's not what Paul says. Paul says, in all things, God works for good. Not that God brings all things to good. Again, some of you need to hear this. In the storms, we need to hear God who's screaming with us and screaming for us and rebuking the evil for us and with us and not a God who's screaming at us. Just get your act in line. In this story, Jesus stands up and he rebukes the waves, not the disciples. He rebukes the waves. He asks a question of the disciples. Do you know who I am? Why are you so afraid still? But he rebukes the waves. He rebukes the enemy. That's the first observation. Second observation. Second. By the way, some of us have a view of Jesus who's way too polite. Jesus is pretty angry. Uh, it, the word rebuke is a strong word. Um, when it comes to the ugly things in our world, we actually, I think we need to see a God who's passionately against them, who's passionately against them because he's passionately for you. Second observation, uh, catch this. Um, he's, uh, the second observation, he's in the boat with. He's in the boat with. Um, you see, I think there's some storms we can predict. There's some storms we can prepare for. And uh, then there are some storms, and these are many of them, you just don't see coming. So what can you do to prepare? Because you didn't see it coming. Well, a thing, and this is so simple that it almost feels like a cliche, a thing we can do is we can invite Jesus in the boat with us before the storms. Um, notice uh, how Mark, Mark, Mark will give us a little bit more clean order to the events. Notice how Mark says this. Catch the order. He says, a furious squall came up and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said to him, teacher, do you care if we drowned? So the storm comes up. The waves are crashing in, about to take over the boat. And then they wake up Jesus. I wonder how many of us, we... Uh, we only think to involve Jesus at the very end. Like, the first thing we'll do is we'll call up a couple friends, maybe. Then we'll, we'll, we'll drain our bank accounts. Then we'll, but when we're finally at the end of our ropes, we'll say, okay, Jesus, would you please help? I got nothing left. I've given it all. I've, I've called my friends. I've used my money. I got nothing left. And then we wake up Jesus. When Jesus has been there the whole time, what kind of man is this? What kind of man? Uh, third observation. Third observation, this one. Oh, somebody needs to hear this one. Somebody needs to hear this one. Uh, Matthew, okay, so Matthew chapter eight, the story we looked at, Jesus brings his disciples in a boat for the first time. They cross over to the Decapolis. We'll look at that story next week. But they get in a boat for the first time. Jesus says to his disciples, get in a boat, and they say, okay, Jesus, and they get in a boat. And then the storm comes, up, comes on them. Then six chapters in your Bible go by, uh, and Jesus will say to his disciples, get in a boat again, only this time the language shifts. Check this out. Mar Matthew 14, verse 22. Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. You'll also notice Jesus doesn't get in the boat with them here. 
Sometimes I think Jesus needs to remind us, yet when the storms come, he's still with us. Even if you don't see him, he'll walk on the water to them. Um, it's that story. But notice the language. Jesus made them get into the boat. He made them get into the boat. The danger, I think, is when we go through something hard, something that breaks us, it breaks us, is we make a vow internally, whether we want to or not, that I'm never going to do that again. Um, you had your heart broken by somebody who's supposed to love you, and you say, well, I'll never trust my heart to somebody like that again. Uh, you, you, make a, a, you try in a business venture, you try to do something that takes a lot of chutzpah, takes a lot of courage, and it doesn't go well, and you say to yourself, well, I'll never do that again. And we shut ourselves down. If the disciples stop here, we don't. It's the disciples who will get in boats again when Jesus sends them into the edges of the earth that are the reason we're here. If they don't, Jesus needs them to get in a boat now. He has to make them because if they don't get in the boat now, they may never get in a boat again. I think especially relevant in this post-COVID world of ours, in this COVID world of ours, uh, especially relevant now um, for, for many what we can do in this time is give ourselves, we can treat COVID like, remember the early days of COVID where it felt kind of like a snow day? It's like, hey, it's a snow day. I get to stay home in my sweatpants and ha ha. Uh, but for some, we're like stuck on permanent COVID snow day. Um, af- like afraid to re-engage, afraid to, stuck on permanent, I uh, have a friend, is, is actually really funny at the time when he told me this, but he, um, he said to me, I finished Netflix. <laughs> Like, what? And I was like, yeah. He's like, I finished it. I'm like, oh, you finished a show? What show? And he goes, no, I finished Netflix. I watched all of the Netflix there is to watch. I've watched the whole thing. And I thought initially, like, that's hilarious. It is hilarious. It's a funny, that's a funny thing to say. But at the same time, I wanted to scream at him, no. Like, don't, don't, don't stop living your life. Um, don't, don't give up and just consent to, like, I guess I got to lay in bed all day. What? I think the two questions we have in, in this passage are critical critical. Now again, does this, is it to be naive and to treat it? The storm is real. Like, take caution. The storm is real. But the two questions I think relevant in this story is, question number one, what are you so afraid of? It's an important question. But, and we could give our list of things that we should be afraid of, right? There's lists of things from Russia, Ukraine, uh, all the way down, all the way down. Only ask that question if the second question what kind of man is this? If you have some clarity on the second question, because if you don't have some clarity on what kind of Jesus is my Jesus, that first question will own you. Um, I like, we'll let John have the last words. Jesus' disciples, John says, greater is he who is with me than he who is in the world. Yeah. This is not a, cliche, just faith over fear. Like this, no, it's a reminder of how big our God is. Greater is he who is with me than he who is in the world. Would you join me in a word of prayer? Ah, Lord. Um, uh, Lord, I pray for my friends who are in a storm right now. Lord, I pray for the, the people in this space who maybe it's a storm that only they know about and it's terrifying them. Oh, Lord, I pray for the couples in our room who are in the middle of a storm. Maybe they're the only ones who know it. And it's, 
they're feeling the water come in over the boat. They feel it to be beginning to capsize, and they have no idea. What do we do next? Lord, I pray for uh, the families, the friendships, who right now are in the middle of a storm. Lord, I pray for the very real reality that for many of us, Lord, we um, the, the, the sheer amount of things to be afraid of has, has left us catatonic. And Jesus, I pray that in this moment you would be more than just words to us. Lord, you would be more than just ideas to us. Lord, that you would be more than just a really brilliant teacher to us. That we would be reminded that you're bigger. Um, Lord, would you help us to trust you with more of you um, so that we can become more of who you created us to be. Uh, Jesus, would you show us yourself in the midst of the storm? And Lord, my prayer is for those who are in the storm that you would help them hear you rebuking it, that you are good and you stand against it. Jesus, we love you. We pray this in your beautiful name. And everybody said, As we've said so many times before, we just want to say thanks for spending a little time with us. For more information about how you can become a part of the South Harbor Church community, visit us on the web at www.southharbor.org. You can find us on Facebook and Instagram at South Harbor Church. And on Sundays at 10 a.m., you can find our services streamed live on our Facebook page. And so once again, from all of us here at South Harbor Church and the Harbor Churches, we want to wish you a blessed week.